Welcome to Tales from the Rabbit Hole. I'm your host, Mick West. My guest today is Ian, who goes by the name Theory QED on Metabunk and on YouTube. Uh, Ian is uh, very interested in uh, the UFO phenomenon, and uh, we've discussed it on uh, on Metabunk in a variety of threads. I think Ian would say that he and I have somewhat differing opinions about what uh, UFOs likely are and about a variety of the uh, the different incidents. So we're going to discuss our differences and things that we agree on. So Ian, uh, welcome welcome to Tales from the Rabbit Hole. Yes, thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much for being here. All right, so uh, let's kind of get into it. Like, how would you define a UFO? That's a great question. So I saw recently you posted on Twitter a real UFO that you had taken, which is just a blurry, faraway picture. Uh-huh. And that's a good point that anything unidentified is a real UFO. But in my opinion, when people that are interested in UFOs say the word real UFO or genuine real genuine UFO, what we usually mean is something that has been verified. So it's not just hmm. one person with a with a blurry camera image that we can't verify. But instead, it would be something with outstanding evidence like what we have with the Navy, where we have radar corroboration, multiple witnesses, and it can be verified with tangible data. Now, do you remember the uh, the Chilean UFO from a, I do. a years ago? That was, that was described as a verified UFO, but it turned out it wasn't. Uh, would you say it was right. a verified UFO at the time, or it was a mistakenly verified UFO? That's a great point, too, because it is somewhat subjective, depending on what your opinion is. Obviously, you think that it's not a UFO, but the Chilean government does think that it's a UFO, correct? Uh, I don't think the Chilean government as such does know. I'm pretty sure, actually, they would accept the explanation now, seeing as it is, it was a perfect match for this particular radar track. It was in the exact point in space. Uh, okay. Was, yeah, just to, for people who aren't familiar with this, this was a, a kind of a distant-looking UFO that was taken by a, a Chilean Navy helicopter using their infrared thing. They were looking for like smugglers and whatnot, and they saw this thing, and it they couldn't figure out what it was. It wasn't on the radar. It wasn't responding to radio, and so they they gave it to this Chilean Air Force body that uh, was set up to investigate. Uh, UFOs or anomalous aerial phenomena, and they couldn't figure out what it was after a couple of years. Even though this, they had a few theories, but it might be a plane. But then they said, no, it can't be a plane because of this and that. And then they eventually released it. And then people on the internet like pointed out that there was a plane in that exact spot uh, visually uh, that was departing the airport at that time. And if you do a 3D recreation, it matches perfectly. That, that's a great explanation, but I think it still doesn't completely explain why it wouldn't respond to radar calls. And I agree with you that your explanation is definitely plausible, if not even likely. Mm-hmm. I, I like your explanation for that case. Um, but I, I do think that it's still being portrayed as a real UFO because it was on contact recently where they said that the temperature was 700 uh, yeah. degrees. And, and you had a great point that you can't know that temperature just by looking at the footage it's only relativistic you can't Mm -hmm. determine an exact temperature but that brings us to the five observables so if that video had shown one of the five observables or more than one of the five observables where it's doing hypersonic speeds or something like that then we can rule out the passenger plane explanation and then it would be even more of a genuine ufo so the five observables this is something someone has suggested that like was it one of them 
needs to be there to be a UFO? I think this comes from ATIP, and yes, I think it is at least one. And we have anti-gravity lift, which is a bit subjective because it could be a lighter-than-aircraft. Uh-huh. Obviously, it could be some kind of blimp. Sudden and instantaneous acceleration, hypersonic velocities without signatures, so no visible exhaust plumes, low observability or cloaking, both visually or on radar, mm. and also transmedium travel. So going into water, coming out of water, going into space, flying through the air, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I guess like the Chilean one wouldn't really... Yeah, so I agree with you there that it's not such a strong case because your explanation makes sense. Yeah, and also you you, asked, you said why didn't it show up on radar? And the reason was that they were looking uh, like 50 miles ahead of them when it should have been looking 100 miles ahead of them. They didn't. And that's understandable, but yeah. didn't they try to contact it with the radio control tower? Didn't yeah, they but say? No, they didn't. They they just oh, they okay. hailed it on the hailing frequency, which is like, uh, you know, when you're in a plane, people think that you can just like radio a plane, like a jet flies up and a radio is a plane, but it has to be on the correct frequency. So you need to know what frequency they are listening to. And when okay. a plane is departing an airport, it will be on uh, either the tower frequency as it's taking off or it'll be on the departure frequency, which is the, the people who organize the planes leaving the area. And there's the separate frequencies for arrivals, and there's another one for the ground. And when planes just flying around, uh, it's on it's the, the common frequency, which I think is 121.0, as I remember. It's been a while since I actually flew a plane. Uh, but they would have hailed it on that frequency. They would have assumed that it's just a plane flying around, so they would have, they would have hailed it on, on 121.0. They, they would have assumed it wasn't a plane departing the airport. If they thought mm-hmm. it was a plane departing the airport, they would have been looking in a completely different place. So they wouldn't know mm-hmm. to go to the departure frequency uh, for, for that plane. So that's why it didn't uh, respond to radio calls because they were just using the, the one-to-one uh, thing and not the departure thing. And the same thing with radar. They would have looked on their radar, which would have showed them things that were nearby them, like within whatever, 40, 50 miles when the right. airport was actually, I think, 80 miles to the north of them and the plane was already turning and going north of the airport at that point. So, yeah. you, know, you know, I've heard you know, objections like that before and they've all been explained. And as far as I can tell, it's like 100% on that particular case. I, I don't really think that you know, if you actually check all the boxes that you can actually really argue that. Now, this isn't something we could say for the, for the other cases, which we're going to discuss in the right. future. Uh, but, you know, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here. Like, uh, so you, 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 we were talking about what is a UFO. And, you know, you, you, you were saying, like, it has to be kind of verified. But when you say verified, does that mean more than one person has to see it? Yes. Personally, I think it should be more than one person that has seen it. And ideally, you would also have some sort of testable evidence that you have along with that witness. So you would have either video or radar or some sort of electromagnetic disturbance or something that you can test to say that something physical was there. That's that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, uh, I know people, you know, say we shouldn't discount eyewitness testimony, but it's obviously vastly better if you can corroborate eyewitnesses with video and put them side by side and said the guy says I saw this and you show a video that shows the same thing. That would be great. Uh, have you? You ever seen a UFO? I actually did very recently. Um, 
I, I, I hesitate to call it a UFO because I have only my witness account and then I have a decent picture and a terrible video of this UFO. Hmm. And the best way I can describe it would be a Chinese lantern. It was an orange ball of light and it's, it's going up into the sky. I don't think that they would have released a Chinese lantern where I live in Boulder, Colorado. But yeah. if that's what it was, it was moving quite quickly. It was very large, very bright, and it disappeared pretty pretty fast in an upward direction. So I've already got plans to go to a lantern festival and see if that's what I yeah. saw. Yeah, yeah, that's it's it's good to try to replicate these things, like because uh, yep. you know was it was it at night or fairly dark? Yep. It was. Yeah, it's, it's very hard to see where things are. At night yeah, it and, seemed <clears throat> very close. Yeah, yeah. You see, sometimes people will look at uh, landing lights of planes, which are quite a, a distance away, like say, like about forty miles away. And because the lights are pointing straight at them, the plane is coming straight towards them. It looks like it's a light that's rising up in the sky, when actually it's kind of coming towards them, just very, very slowly, and just you know, going overhead. Mm. Uh, so it's it's you know it's, it's very very difficult to, to corroborate these things. But so you've had a UFO sighting. I I I you know I guess I always say I see UFOs every day because uh, I go I live under the flight path for departures from both Sacramento and San Francisco. Uh, so I see the the higher planes from San Francisco and the lower planes from from Sacramento, and they quite often do that thing where they come straight towards me and. For a while, they looked like like UFOs. I remember one where I was um, looking at it through my camera because I'm getting old now. My eyesight is going, and when I looked at it on the back of the camera, it looked like this really weird star-shaped thing coming towards me. But mm -hmm. then I, re I reviewed the footage later, and it was just uh, it was just not star-shaped at all. It was just my bad eyesight. So <laughs> that's <laughs> something that comes into play as well. So have you uh, you been interested in in UFOs for a long time? I have. Ever since I was in elementary school, I would read the books in the library, and that's how yeah. I first got into it. Yeah, me too. I was uh, I was always very into UFOs. I used to read magazines that uh, had cases and had a bunch of books on, on UFOs. Of course, yeah, big into science fiction as well. I imagine if you're a UFO person, you like science fiction. I do. It yeah. seems to be a common a common trait. <laughs> I, I read a lot of science fiction, and there's like classics like Arthur C. Clarke. Let's gonna get into the the three videos that people have been talking about recently. There's these mm -hmm. three videos that've been around for a while. There's the one from the Nimitz encounter has been around for like since two thousand and seven, I think. Right. Uh, and the incident, I think, was what two thousand and four, was it? Yes. Yeah. So it came out like three years after. Uh, that one's, I think, in many ways, that's the most interesting one uh, in terms of the incident, the overall incident, because there's so many people uh, who who said something happened. You know, it seemed like something, something happened that day. It's not, not entirely sure what happened, but you know, there's all these different people. So this was in 2004. The Nimitz uh, battle cruiser was ahead of like a fleet of ships, um, and they were getting these radar returns that seemed like that they were, uh, you know, something flying around. And then they sent out a, a plane at one point, and then the, the guy like saw what he thought was a tic tac shaped object zipping around and then it flew off at high speed and then another plane took a video and you got this well, famous video two planes two planes saw it initially yeah so a yeah. total of four people right yeah there was commander fravor uh and his his uh uh wso i guess WSO. yeah yes. weapons systems operator and then there was a female yes. pilot 
a younger female pilot who was doing high-level support for him. She saw what happened from above. Yes. Yeah, so that's, you know, it's, it's quite compelling, really. You've got, like, at least two people giving their direct account. I don't know if the other two have, have actually given interviews. Jim Slate, the WSO from Commander Favors, plane, he did one interview, but mm-hmm. that's all he's done so far. Did he basically corroborate yes, exactly yes. what uh, Fravor said? Yeah. Yes. They they were actually on together. Yep. Was that on one of the uh, the, the shows, like the... the the Discovery no, Channel it was, show with it was actually mainstream media. I, I don't remember the channel off okay. the top of my head, yeah. but it was on the news. Right, back when there was a bit of a flurry of interest around, uh, probably when the New right. York Times thing came out. Yeah, and that's very interesting. Like, what could he have seen? And all these people corroborate it. Uh, yes. It's, it's a bit of a puzzle. Like, he, he says he saw, like, he was looking down and saw churning water. What what are your thoughts on uh, the whole incident and... Well, first of all, I think it's not a good idea to focus on only the video. I think that's a problem that your website has with all three of these videos, or at least two of them. I think that we should take into account what the witnesses saw, because as you said, we have three public aviators that have seen the same thing. And then we also have multiple witnesses from both the Nimitz and the Princeton who corroborate the exact same story, different aspects of the same story, but they all tell the same tail along the same lines of each other and then if you have radar and visual contact to me that's a genuine ufo even even though we didn't have the video of the initial contact of the merge plot point where three three public witnesses saw it we still have the radar in the same spot and yes it is possible that it's different objects but i think it's very likely that the tic tac was the object that they saw on radar because it's in the same place and they saw it visually but they didn't see the the Tic Tac uh, craft depart uh, the the area. Like Fravor says, it flew away, but no one says they saw it fly away on the radar. I'm I'm not really a hundred percent sure on this. I've asked Kevin Day, and he hasn't responded to my most recent question. But definitely, they saw on radar the object zoom from the the merge plot point, which is where Commander Fravor first encountered it. And then from there, in under two seconds, it's over the horizon. So hypersonic speeds we have there observed. Mm-hmm. And also, or Kevin Day said that we saw that on radar and that the Tic Tac object went directly to the cap point, which is the combat air patrol point they were using for training. So somehow this object knew the precise location of that training coordinate, and then it zoomed there from their encounter. Yeah, they didn't, I don't think they described it as a zoom, though. They just said it's now at your cap point. They didn't show it moving. Right, but Commander Fravor described it as zooming across his tail, and this was seen by the 20,000-foot high cover, which is the yeah. female bio. Yeah, so the, it zoomed somewhere. The big problem, you know, is like you get these eyewitness accounts of movement, and then you get these you know, recollections of radars uh, movements, but they they don't they don't share the same thing. Like you you, you see the radar says, uh, you know Kevin Day you talked about. He was the guy who was uh, I guess operating the it wouldn't be called just the radar the whole system, uh, the mm. CIS thing the CEC CEC yes yeah mm. yeah that's uh, I can't remember what it called for combat engagement center or something something yeah. like that. It's yeah. a cooperative radar system. Right, yeah. So it's, it's, it synthesizes and puts together all the data from different systems so you can see it on, on one screen and uh, 
should be really good, obviously, because you've you've got all this these inputs. But so he says that he saw it dropping from um, eighty thousand feet to twenty thousand feet, and then dropping from I don't know what it was twenty eight thousand feet to fifty feet or something like that. So you've got these right. you know, recollections of this radar data showing one thing, but then you don't have the eyewitnesses showing it, it dropping. You, mm -hmm. you have them showing it like zigzagging around where they are, uh, you know, being at the, the ocean surface, and then you, you have them going away. So you don't get this 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 exact match between video and eyewitness and uh, radar. And the video is completely different again. Like the video just shows like a, a distant thing that, you know, it looks like it's just flying away. It doesn't really move other than getting a bit smaller. Mm. So, I mean, like, would you consider this really to be the same thing? I can't say with 100% certainty that all of these objects are the same, but I can say that, in my opinion, I think that they're definitely related. So I don't know if you're familiar with all of the witnesses, but there's a person on board the Nimitz called PJ Hughes, and he's in charge of the E-2 Hawkeye radar tapes. Mm -hmm. So that's a radar plane that was flying around at the time. Yeah. And Commander Fravor has said that this plane could see the tic tac objects on radar. There's a bit of a discrepancy with that because um, Dave Beatty, who made the Nimitz Encounter documentary, he told me that at, at least at one point the windows were open and the radar was off on this plane. But if it did make radar <laughs> contact, that's another plane in the sky that was seeing all of these things basically the entire time that it was airborne. And those tapes were confiscated by Air Force officials, according to PJ Hughes. Yeah. So that's a bit anomalous. Why Why is the Air Force coming on board the Nimitz? That's a yeah, Navy that's very ship. interesting. Kind of a Men in Black type thing, isn't it? Like the, the way right. he tells it. And I think uh, the other guy, oh yeah, PJ Hughes, Patrick Hughes. Yeah, I talked to him on Facebook and I asked him if uh, the radar showed the it departing. And, and he said, I should talk to Kevin Day. And Kevin, I talked to Kevin Day and he didn't... Right. Uh, yeah, say so it did. So, so yeah. PJ Hughes, I don't think he's actually seen the radar data. I think he okay. was just in charge of holding right. the tapes in the safe. Yeah. Um, but he says that his friend Roger, who was on board that E2 plane, he said he could look out the window and see a Tic Tac right next to his plane. So hmm. because we have multiple objects being tracked on radar by the by the Princeton over that two week period, and because we have multiple objects apparently being seen by multiple different planes at the same time or around the same time, I think even if the objects aren't the same from the video, the radar, and the visual sighting, I th or sightings. I think that they are probably related in some yeah. way. Yeah. Well, they're all in the same space and time. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and they. Yeah, the other guy, um, Gary Voorhis, uh, mm -hmm. he he was a, a an eyewitness to it, and yeah, you said that uh, what was his name? Roger uh, could see mm -hmm. it out of the pl window of the plane. Gary Voorhees said that you could see it from from the deck of the Nimitz using binoculars. Uh, they have these big twenty X binoculars called uh, Big Eyes that are mm -hmm. mounted on the on these platforms above the deck, and you can see them through that. And so he said he could even see it through his own personal binoculars, and he says that you could see them for days. But I think he said that uh, they look like little points of light, which is why we call them Tic Tacs. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I could be slightly misquoting him there, but you know. Fravor describes this tic tac as being this this oblong uh, this oblong this this uh, you know a, a, something shaped a bit like this uh, a, a a capsule I think is the te technical term it's a, a cylinder with two domes on the end uh, but you then you've got Gary Voorhees saying 
we saw these points of light and we call them tic tacs i don't think that kind of rings true in terms of why they call them tic tacs i think you might be kind of forcing the back explanation onto that uh but a lot of what they describe is just points of light so when when people say they're seeing the same thing over and over again if they're just seeing like a white speck in the distance i mean how do you know it's not a seagull well, I, w- I would say that the hypersonic radar tracking would prove that it's not a seagull. Yeah, yeah. And the, the tracking, you know, obviously like the obvious kind of debunker explanation for, for radar is that it's just a glitch. There's some, some kind of problem right. with the system. And we know that there were problems with, with the system because they, they said that we've got all this clutter. We're going to reboot the system, take it down and bring it back up again and recalibrate it. And that should fix it. And then they did that and then they, they didn't go away. So they, they assumed yeah. that, that they were real at that point, or some people assumed I, they were real. I think that it doesn't show that there was a problem with the system. I think that they were just testing to make sure that these were, in fact, real right. tracks and not ghost tracks. But as you said, when they reinstalled the system, it just got clearer. So mm-hmm. it was definitely real. Yeah, but it shows that they expect there to be problems from time to time. It means that it's not an unexpected event. And obviously, we hear about false radar tracks all the time. And even like the pilots say, there's accounts of pilots saying like there was false tracks off my wing and things like that. That so it does actually happen these these false tracks. And there's a variety of physical reasons for it, like uh, inversion layers and reflections off uh, off uh, big waves and things like that. So they do happen, but we don't know what happened in this case, obviously. Uh, yeah. But it kind of raises the question, though: what do you, Why do you think that the the Navy was so unconcerned about this large fleet of flying objects next to the uh, next to the carrier strike group. I don't know. I mean, maybe they had seen it before and they already knew kind of what they were dealing with because on the East Coast, those those pilots have said that they saw them nearly every day. So it could be that this wasn't the, the high command's first encounters with these sorts of objects. Hmm. And... Um, it was just kind of a curious thing for the newer people. But Commander Fravor was already a pilot for at least over a decade at the time, and that yeah. was his first encounter with it. Yes, but, like, I mean, you don't think that the Navy is just used to seeing alien crafts flying around or advanced technology, and they have been for decades, and they just no one's mentioned it before? I don't know. I mean, we'll have ridiculous. to get into the cover-up later with the whole conspiracy thing, but... Um, as I said, on the East Coast, they saw those objects almost every day, both on yeah. radar and visually. And then those objects also followed them to the Middle East to their deployment in a war zone. So that shows that these mm. objects are either following the carrier battle groups or it's truly a global phenomenon. And yeah. if anybody would know that, it would be the Navy because they're in every ocean at all times. Well, you know, back in World War Two, they had a thing called a Foo Fighter, uh, which was a... Right. A, you know essentially a ufo like so they had various theories about what they were uh, mm-hmm. but you know all uh pilots see things in the sky at some point or another and uh you know i think uh, again in the the stuff that they, they described in the gulf a lot of that was described as being points of light uh and you know not not solid objects there's a few different versions of the solid objects mm-hmm. uh do you want to talk briefly about the other videos Sure, but, I'd like uh, to give you credit for the GoFast analysis. I thought yeah. you did a great job with that. Thank you. Doing all Thank the you. math and proving the altitude and the speed. Yeah, it wasn't too complicated. I think a, a bunch of other people have done it too. It is oh, just a very simple trig. 
And I meant to ask you, if we know the field of view for the Tic Tac, which I think mm -hmm. we do, so we know how wide the field of view is, and if we can estimate the size of the object, whether it's a passenger plane, as you have suggested, or 40 feet long, as Commander Fravor has described the Tic Tac, if we know the size and the field of view, can we not determine speed and distance from those two things? Well, yeah, uh, to a degree, yeah. You Just estimate it? No, yeah, you, you, you can say if it's this size, then it must be yeah, this far away. Traveling Assuming that the, the field of it's not entirely clear what the field of view is. Uh, because it changes? No, no, the, uh, it, it, it describes what it is in the corner of the screen. There's a thing, there's an NAR, and then there's mm -hmm. 1x or 2x. So it's mostly an NAR, which is there's the narrow field of view. Uh, but from the specific, we don't know the exact specifications of the, the, uh, the Aptflare system. And apparently it varies between like 0.75 and 1 degrees or 1.5 degrees. So it's uh, not exactly good. So, we can get a good ballpark, I think. Do you, think do you admit that. that the object is moving from right to left in that video? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes, so then I just to wanted left. to let you know that you, the way you have the, pl the tail of the plane on the left, the plane would be yeah. flying backwards. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah, okay. I, I, I mentioned that. Did you in, update uh, that? Yeah, no, I did that. Someone pointed that out almost straight away, right. and I, I updated it. But yeah, okay. that was just the first first plane I, I picked, and okay. it was probably a mistake to try to read too much into this little uh, bit that appears to be sticking up on one side, because you can, if you take a plane, and uh, you know, it, it's it could be any shape of plane, and passenger planes have a fairly distinctive shape along, but the military planes have a variety of shapes. Like it could be. Uh, you know, a Hawkeye plane has a very different shape because it's got that big radar on top and uh, jets that tend to be chunkier and have their fins in, in, in rather different configurations. And so, then last question about that. Do you yeah. think that there was, in fact, radar jamming during the time that that video was taken? Or do you think that there was no radar jamming? Well, I don't know. I mean, if they have something, a radar jamming detector that tells them the radar is being jammed, does that only ever go off when the radar is being jammed? And did it actually go off? I think, I think they said it, yeah, I don't know. it was being, being jammed. Uh, I think, I suspect it was more like the Chilean case where they thought it was, uh, you know, 30 miles in front of them and it was actually 60 miles in front of them because it was a, 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 bigger, a bigger jet. Well, Commander Fravor has said that there was radar jamming and jamming cues, and he said that mm -hmm. Chad Underwood has told him that, and he says that it's visible on the tape, the radar tape, not the not the tape that we've seen. Um, but in the official incident report, it says that Chad Underwood, who was the pilot of the jet that took the video, it says that in that report there was no official jamming cues. So hopefully when Commander yeah. Fravor goes on to Joe Rogan, I think in November, hopefully he'll try to clear that up a bit for us. Mm. That will be interesting. Yeah, I should uh, send some questions then. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. The, the 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 official incident report for the the Nimitz thing that I think they say the plane did not appear to move, like it just receded. Uh, so mm -hmm. the guy who who you know, I'm not sure how official that is. That that report. Commander Fravor has said it's the unofficial official report. So he says it's legitimate, but I don't know if it's technically official. So you would consider it confirmed that the guy who took the video made this report about taking the video? Well, I think there are a lot of inconsistencies between the witness testimony, what we can see, and also what appears in that incident report. So I think there are a lot of variables that we still need to clear up what actually happened. But yeah. I think it's clear that the object is moving from right to left. Yeah, uh, no, you can tell that from um, just the angle uh, that's displayed on the yeah. screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So, 
so go fast. You're okay with that being uh, something that's not moving that fast and is in fact yep. uh, 1,300 feet. Uh, do you think it makes any sense that it's a balloon? No, and I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. I, I think if you look at only go fast alone, I think it could be a balloon. But the fact now, I don't know if you've seen it, but now we know that Gimbal and GoFast were taken on the same day. Yeah. Some people suggest as little as 20 minutes apart. It's definitely the same flight crew, the same people in both videos. So I think that there's a very high likelihood, not certainty, but likelihood that the objects we see in GoFast might be related to the objects that are supposedly seen in the longer version of the Gimbal video, mm. which are flying in formation. And if those objects are flying against the wind then I don't think it could be a balloon, assuming it's the same ob- the same object in both videos. Yeah. Although uh, it could be that, you know, if they thought that it was moving at a, at a different altitude, uh, like it looks like it's down by sea level, and the wind direction at sea level can be very different to the wind direction at 13,000 feet. It can, uh, you can actually be completely different directions. Uh, sea level winds are usually quite slow. And, and yeah. they would... I don't, I don't know like what they would do, but they would probably think that they were, I would think they would be going by the wind direction at their altitude, which was 25,000 feet. Go fast. But. Correct. So I, I was mostly talking about the gimbal footage. Oh, okay. So we can hear right. on the audio there that they're saying, look on the SA, the situational awareness radar display. There's a whole fleet of them and they're flying against the wind and the wind is 120 knots to the west or out of the west. So that's, hurricane force winds that these objects are flying in formation and against the wind in that strong of wind so i think that it basically completely rules out birds flying in formation or any type of balloons even if it has thrusters i don't think balloons are going to be able to fly against that that strong of a wind well yeah i don't think the gimbal video this gimbal video is the one with the rotating uh shape on it i don't think that's a balloon at all i mean i don't think anyone's ever suggested that would be a balloon because right. it's so- uh it's got a very hot heat source, so it's almost certainly is a jet engine of some sort. To clarify, I'm I'm just talking about the smaller objects in formation okay. that have been described by Lieutenant Ryan Graves, yeah. and I know that you think that his witness testimony <laughs> isn't necessarily reliable, but he was on the ship with the flight crew. He talked to them right after it happened. He said that these these objects these objects in formation were visible on the longer version of the gimbal mm-hmm. video. So if that video ever comes to light, I think that those objects are. not balloons or birds. Yeah, well, I guess uh, we probably won't see, unfortunately, because, you know, the Navy is, in their recent statements, have said that they're going to investigate it, but the investigation will include classified material, so they probably will not tell us the results of it. Which is great for the uh, UFO speculation industry. We can just continue to argue about it for years, but (laughs) it's rather frustrating that uh, we won't actually know what these things are. Maybe they will say that they've determined that they were not interesting at some point. What about, I have this explanation of the rotation of the gimbal. Mm-hmm. Like I, I saying that it's a glare from a, you know, an infrared thing and like, you know, something big, you know, bright light gives a glare that's bigger than the object itself. Uh, so, and when the camera rotates, it makes the glare rotate and the horizon is derotated. So, what do you think of that explanation? 
I think it's totally plausible, and I think you did a great job of trying to prove it with showing the lines that you can see in the video, and you did your own experiments, too, to show that it actually does happen. So I think that's great that you're trying to prove your theory there, and I think it's a likely theory. But the problem I have with, with all of that is, in your video, you said that Dave Falch is an expert in FLIR cameras who has been working on this for a while, and he recently gave you this footage that proves that it is just an out-of-focus jet exhaust and it's rotating because of the camera. But Dave Fouch does not agree with any mm -hmm. of those statements. He doesn't think it's a jet exhaust, he doesn't think it's out-of-focus, and he doesn't think that the rotation is just yeah. caused by the camera. Yeah. So what I wanted to say is I don't think that he can be an expert on the the gimbal camera equipment and in analyzing the video when he supposedly agrees with you and then discounted as a novice with fundamentally different equipment when he doesn't agree with you because you you asked me to reach out to him for a direct comment and he did and he made it yeah. very clear what he thinks yeah well and i obviously disagree with him and i'm not basing my uh analysis on what he says i'm basing it on the evidence that he created he provided i mean he he i wouldn't say he's an expert but you know, he, 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 he's a kind of a technician who works with these uh, cameras in the factory and he tests them out in the parking lot uh, behind the, the, the factory and he takes, takes video of, of planes. And, you know, I just chatted with him for a while and we, 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 uh, there was two things I wanted him to test, one of which is panning left to right, showing that the camera has to rotate. And, and he did that and he showed that the camera does rotate. Uh, and the other one was like getting a, a distant jet with, uh, with a heat source. And, and he got that and it showed it that it did actually look somewhat like the, uh, the video that we, we see. And if you combine those two things, the rotation of the camera in, in the panning and this, um, this glare, then you get what we see in the videos. I mean, I think you don't need his professional opinion, uh, about it. Uh, you just need to look at the evidence that he, that he has he has created. He's created like these nice little videos that actually demonstrate it. I think. So I can understand that, but I still disagree. Um, first of all, did you tell him to do it intentionally out of focus? No, or... I didn't, no. Okay, so it's just happenstance. Yeah. Well, because he uses these FLIR cameras every day, and admittedly he's not an expert on the military grade, so there might be a difference in clarity, or he might not be an expert on the rotating system as much as just the camera. But even as not a photography expert, I'm not a professional photographer, I can tell when a DSLR is out of focus, and I can tell when mm -hmm. my iPhone camera is out of focus. So because he uses these cameras every day, I think he's at least qualified to say that the object we're looking at is completely out of focus and skewed the, the image is skewed because it's blurry and not in focus. Or he can say that it is in focus and the edges are crisp and clear and well-defined, which is what he says for the gimbal object. Yeah. Well, un unfortunately, there wasn't really uh, uh, you know, anything in the background that you could use to see if the infrared footage that he created was really in focus. Uh, right. The, the, the clouds in the gimbal footage I don't think are really in in focus it's hard to say if a cloud is in focus especially in a low resolution video because they're naturally blurry anyway so if you make mm -hmm. them a little bit more blurry i don't think the focus issue is really a big thing like one of these other objections was uh that you couldn't see the wings of the plane okay and that you could see it in his but i actually talked to him about that and i showed him some video and he kind of agreed with me afterwards that uh you know maybe you wouldn't be able to see the wings of the plane like in the, in the chilean case uh, yeah in that chilean case 
you the glare is so big that it covers the entire plane and that's an a340 which is a, a big four engine plane so yeah and i've seen the longer version the 10 minute version of that video and you can't even see the plane even in tv mode so it's very far off the chilean, in the plane. chilean. Yeah. yeah 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 you can i think you can just make it out as a little faint speck right at the start in the visible mode but in the gimbal, he says that there's no heat spiking or variation in, in the jet exhaust. So he says it's not a jet exhaust. Yeah, I think that's just down to differences in the, the optics. Uh, if you notice when that moves over like things like trees and phone lines and stuff like that, you, you get spiking. It's, uh, the spikes are from diffraction, uh, which is basically like going around corners and the different shapes of the corners it goes around makes these spikes. And uh, so the light path of the camera itself has all these these edges in it, like the aperture and the edges of the the camera system, and those those create spikes. So different cameras have different amounts of of spiking, and different brightnesses of uh, of glare will have different amount of spiking. So I don't I don't really see that as being a huge issue. I think that's just more down to differences in the the situation of what he's videoing and the camera itself. Okay. Uh. Just one more thing on that, if you don't okay. mind. No, no. Go in your ahead. video, uh, gimbal object or gimbal UFO need not be moving. I noticed that you have the gimbal object as completely stationary. It's it was really just an extreme example, just to show that it didn't need to be. I mean, it's almost certainly moving away from them rather than uh, okay. not moving. Well, two things on that. Lieutenant Ryan Graves has said that the larger object was in fact stationary. He mentioned that in Unidentified Episode Four. Um, so I would like to see if it, if you do think that it is a plane or a drone with a jet exhaust that's moving away from the camera, mm -hmm. um, I would like to see you update that need not be moving GIF or GIF and the video as well, just so that you can see the object moving on the graph. Because I think as the plane reaches the apex of its turn, it'll yeah. have a horizontal view of the object moving. So we should be able to see some movement in the camera if the object is moving well i think it's moving do you, do you, almost directly away from the plane so it's gonna i understand that but the plane was behind it and then it moves off to the side at the apex of its turn so yeah. i think at one point we should be able to see some horizontal movement yeah i'm not sure uh i mean obviously we do see what looks like horizontal movement with the uh the gimbal video i mean it looks like it's moving relative to the clouds uh, but it's interesting. So that that uh, other pilot said that it was not moving at all. Or... He did. He he wasn't very explicit about yeah. it, but he definitely said. I I can send you the video. He said this larger object that was significantly larger mm -hmm. than the smaller objects was stationary. And he gave this account where he said that there was a large object that looked like a like a gyroscope, and then there was these five smaller objects following it in a V shape. Right, and he said the smaller objects were moving, and we can hear in the audio of the yeah. gimbal video that they're moving against the wind, but in episode four of Unidentified, Lieutenant Ryan Graves said that the larger object was stationary, and he definitely yeah. said that. He just didn't make a big deal out of it. Yeah, well, that would be interesting. Uh, well, uh, let's move on to, you want to talk about okay. the, the UFO conspiracy Cover oh yes! <laughs> like this is like you know this the the blog here is uh, my my podcast is about conspiracy theories and mm -hmm. UFOs I think are really interesting as a conspiracy theory because on, on one one hand it's this almost banal conspiracy theory that the government is covering up something uh, they're not telling us everything they know about something which you know is, seems fairly straightforward but then on the other hand 
yeah, they're covering up aliens from another another planet, which is like just the most mm. amazing thing ever. So you've got kind of two extremes of the conspiracy spectrum in one thing. What's your thought on the uh, the government covering up uh, UFOs in some way? Well, this is going to take a while, but first of all, I'd like to correct a statement that uh, Seth Shostak made in your uh-huh. last show. He said that around 30% of Americans believe in UFOs. I, I believe that's what he said. And that's not actually correct. 33% of Americans believe that extraterrestrial visitation is the explanation for view, for mm. UFOs. But it's a much higher percentage of people that believe in UFOs yeah. and believe that the government is withholding information from us. I looked it up on Gallup in 2019, and it's 68% of mm. Americans believe that the government is withholding information about UFOs. So... Another thing I'd like to say is that not all conspiracy theories are the same. We're not all created equal. Not all conspiracy theorists are crazy. So flat earth might be on one end of the spectrum, and then you might have other conspiracies on the other end of the spectrum. And I don't even see UFOs as a conspiracy. I see it as something that's been officially acknowledged by our government. The president has been briefed on UFOs. Congress has, has classified briefings on UFOs. So I think it's very clear that UFOs are real. And we shouldn't keep asking people, do you believe in UFOs? That's mm-hmm. what you ask someone about ghosts or Bigfoot. But I think UFOs are now officially established. And this goes into what Michio Kaku, Dr. Michio Kaku was talking about with the burden of proof and sufficient evidence to prove their existence. But I think that it's no longer just a fringe conspiracy theory that UFOs are real and that the government's withholding information. I think both of those are very clear that it is real and that the government at least knows more than they're telling us. What do you so, mean by real, though? You keep saying it is real. What does that mean? Um, verifiable. Uh, we can check instruments to show that they're actually there. It's not just a, a Bigfoot sighting that has no video and no radar data. It's the Navy saying that we don't know what these things are. We see them on a nearly daily basis. That seems real to me. It's mm. not fairies or ghosts or anything like that. But like a Bigfoot sighting would be an actual giant ape, whereas right. UFOs are like blips on radar. So well, just kind of... just the blips on radar are real, at least. Right. Yeah, definitely. They're, and they're real. Blips. They need to be explained. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you don't mind, I'd like to yeah, go on. over a brief history of the conspiracy. So, 1947, sure. we have the Roswell crash. Initially, it was reported in the newspapers, citing an army official, that there was a retrieved flying saucer, and then there's also allegedly bodies. So, I'm sure you already know about this, but this is basically the start of the modern uh, conspiracy about the cover-up. Mm-hmm. So 1947, same year, we have the Twining Memo, written by General Nathan Twining, who later got a fourth star and became the USAF Chief of Staff and then the Chairman of Chief of Staff. And he says flat out, the phenomenon is something real and not visionary or fictitious. So when I say it's real, I mean that it's real to the Navy and I mean it's real to the Air Force. It's not something that crazy people on the Internet are imagining or just making up it's something that is verifiable by the military and then b he says there are objects probably approximating the shape of a disc so he's talking about flying saucers and then he goes into the description of these flying saucers metallic light reflecting no tail circular or elliptical in shape so he's describing flying saucers in this memo very clearly and then two years later we have 1949 fbi document sent to fbi director j edgar hoover also sent to the Army's G2, the Office of Naval Intelligence, and the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. And it says 
that they had meetings in between all these groups discussing UFOs. And it also says that the Army intelligence has recently said that the matter of unidentified aircraft or the British term unidentified aerial phenomenon, otherwise known as flying discs, flying saucers, balls of fire, is considered top secret by intelligence officers of both the Army and the Air Force. So they were taking this phenomenon seriously mm-hmm. all the way back in 1947, 1949. And if you don't mind, I'd like to keep going. Sure. So. I- 1952, we have the Washington, D.C. flap, so two sightings of UFOs, two weekends in a row. And I'd like to ask you, do you know about this case? What do you think about this event? Uh, Was it the lights that were seen over the White House? Exactly, in the Capitol building. Yeah, there's a famous photo of that, but that was shown to be just reflections of the streetlights. Right, Uh, there's reflections of streetlights and also BBC recreation. Yeah, uh, I don't really know very much about the actual eyewitness accounts, but we have like all kinds of you know events that happen where people start looking up at the sky. It's like the Battle for Los Angeles, uh, which I think was right. in World War Two, where people thought that they saw things flying over Los Angeles, and they even had like uh, searchlights focusing on these things, but they didn't really turn out to be anything substantial. I think you know in in in, in cases where you see lots of people pointing out things it's really surprising that nothing really comes of them it it almost seems like it's 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 an event where people start pointing at the sky and saying do you see that and they're like no i don't see anything and then they go look over there oh yeah i see something and then everyone gets all excited and they they Mm. start they start pointing at things especially if there's something there like some flares or something or a plane plane well that's what that's why i think this 1950 suit 1952 sighting over Washington, D.C. is a real UFO because it happened two weekends in a row. We had military jets in the sky chasing these things. A united flight, both the pilots and the crew members, they saw these objects. Ground observers saw these objects. And they were seen on three different radars, both civilian and military, calculated at 7,000 miles per hour. So that's not just some people seeing lights in the sky. That's jets chasing something that's in the sky with a physical radar signature that's moving three times faster than in the SR-71's top speed. So that's very anomalous to me and something that is verifiable and something that we need to try to explain because the official explanation was just temperature inversion, but everyone involved does not think it was a temperature inversion. Interesting. Three times as fast as the uh, uh, SR-71... Um, it's very fast, faster than the speed of sound. Uh, wouldn't there be a sonic boom? There should be, but wouldn't there be a sonic boom in the Tic Tac case? Those yeah. are going hypersonic several times the speed of sound and no sonic booms recorded. Exactly. So, so there's something that we don't understand. So either uh, it wasn't going faster than the speed of sound or there's some incredible uh, reality-altering physics going on to move the air out of the way. Is it, uh, it could it could manipulate space time and move through the air with a bubble, and then you wouldn't have sonic booms. You, or it could be actually. a non-physical craft, some sort of plasma. You know the the Alcubierre drive. I can't remember how to pronounce it. There's this space warping drive, the one where it warps space in front of you. You know, if you actually do that in an atmosphere, and you know, apparently if you do the maths of what would happen in that, uh, mm. all the energy from the space warp still actually has to go somewhere. It still actually uh, uh, ends up creating this incredible, basically a big explosion of the air. And just the the very idea of something moving something from one point to another, you know, it's at point A, it needs to get to point B, and it gets there in a tenth of a second, and it's moving like ten times the speed of sound. It has to go through the air that's in between. 
So either you can have positing some kind of teleportation, uh, or perhaps it didn't actually do that. And for me, this is a very big point strike against these things, that there were not any sonic booms. And there really isn't any plausible physical mechanism for avoiding them. Well, then what would explain the radar signatures? Uh, I would have to go glitch. with radar glitches, yes. As the, at the same time that people are seeing them? No, I mean, it's not. I, I like, don't... Kind of as we discussed earlier, we don't get any correlation between eyewitness video and radar at the same time. We don't see it. So no one saw it come down. No well, one, but in the no 1952 radar. case, they did have witnesses. There, there was a jet in the sky, and he said, I'm surrounded, what do I do? And they had all of this transpiring on radar. But then this, this, did this jet pilot measure their departure speed visually? No, it's, it's at night, so... I mean, it's, so they just it disappeared or flew away. I mean, it, you know, depending on how close it was, it could look like, uh, like anything. So you, you don't have the pilot corroborating this three times the speed of sound thing that the radar did. I mean, you still have, you have something in a region, then you have a pilot going there and he sees something in the region and people assume that the same, they're the same thing. But uh, I don't think it necessarily means they are the same thing. And really, I've got to keep going mm. back to this, this sonic boom thing. If you think about the air between two objects, it's, you know, it's there. You have to go through that air, which means either the air has to be, I don't know, vaporized, or it needs to be pushed out of the way. And if it's pushed out of the way and then snaps back again, you know, boom, sonic boom. That's where you get a sonic boom. Well, but sonic boom's actually the wave. If of you have a warp drive, if you have a warp drive, are you sure that you need to displace that air? Are you, I mean, I the way I understand it is that you're pulling space-time around the craft. Mm -hmm. So you're just pulling the air around you and not necessarily displacing any air. You still, topologically, you still have to go through the air. Because even if you're warping the space to be smaller, you're still going through space. It's just all compressed together. So you're still going okay. through that air, but now this air is all in one space. So you, you, it's, even, it's even worse in a way. It means you're very, very rapidly going through a very dense region of, of, of air. And that's this Alcubierre drive, this uh, space drive that people keep talking about, the warp space, doesn't work inside planet's atmospheres for that reason. Mm. Uh, that's why, and you know, I don't want to <laughs> jump to Star Trek, but if in Star Trek, you can't go to warp uh, whilst you're close to a planet. You, uh, you can't warp space when you're like, you know, I guess in a gravity well, but also in an atmosphere because you, know, you get all this, the atmosphere would heat up and explode basically. So the warp drives ha from what we know would only work out you know, away from our planet. Hasn't NASA accelerated a laser beam slightly faster than the speed of light using similar technology to warp drives? Uh, I'm going to go with no on that because that would be okay. very big news. <laughs> well, I'll know. send it to you. People people often talk about you know things going faster than the speed of light, uh, but they're they're not really going actually going faster. I think that might be something to do okay. with the uh, um, the superposition of waves, and the information is going faster than the speed of light in a medium. But you can't go faster than the speed of information cannot travel faster than the speed of light in a vacuum. Uh, that's kind of like a hard physical thing in the universe as far as we know obviously you know aliens might have figured it out and that's something that uh, kaku uh, talks about that uh, that was an interesting thing kaku said actually M michio kaku he says 
you know, we're, we made the mistake of assuming the aliens are like us, uh, but they might be 100,000 years ahead of us, in which case the laws of physics will have changed. Which I thought coming from a physicist was a pretty uh, <clears throat> outrageous claim because the laws of physics themselves aren't going to claim. We might discover some some more refinements to the laws of physics or maybe even some new, new laws of physics, but it doesn't mean just if we wait 100,000 years, the laws of physics... Uh, are going to change and that we'll automatically be able to have faster than light travel. Maybe we never have faster than light travel. Yeah, uh, I think he just meant that maybe our understanding of the laws of physics will change. Oh, yeah. Um, but I'd also like to talk about the burden of proof thing. So yeah. he said initially that it was up to the government to prove that they're not ET. And yeah. then he's walked back that statement a little bit to, to say it's up to the government to prove that UFOs are not real. And I think what this gets at is the Carl Sagan quote, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. So I was searching your Metabunk site for ex explanations for the JAL 1628 case um, of the Japanese airline, the cargo airline that saw a massive UFO. And the only remember. explanation, you haven't heard of it? I don't remember it. Okay. Well, the only explanation that I saw on your site is that it's a squadron of B-2 bombers. And that makes absolutely no sense to me because a craft that's four times the size of a 747 was seen visually and on radar by the FAA. And a B-2 bomber would have a tiny radar signature the size of a bird. So it's obviously not that. And the craft is moving around at hypersonic speeds. And B-2 bombers are not even hypersonic. They're not even supersonic. They're subsonic. So there's almost no chance that that's what it was. And in my mind, what he's saying is that if you want to come up with these extreme debunking theories by the government or just average yeah. citizens, if you want to say that it's not something outside of our understanding, you need to explain how a B-2 bomber could possibly explain that well, scenario. Well, he, he, I think, uh, when he made that statement, he said that the burden of proof has shifted. He was very specifically referring to these three videos uh, from the Navy. He was. And he was saying that, he, he talked before that about different types of evidence. We talked about, uh, I guess, science. Like he says, in science, you want things that are testable, like and repeatable and... Uh, falsifiable. Falsifiable, yeah. And he says that we now have that with these three videos. And because we have these three videos, and then he said that they showed like impossible accelerations and things like that, then the burden of proof has shifted. And mm -hmm. that's what I'm saying is wrong if you're just looking at these three videos. Now, you're saying that there's all these other examples of evidence as well that uh, you know give the same argument but is this stuff that uh, Kaku was not aware of before is this does he really think that this is the first time that there's evidence of this quality or is there something special about these videos well for that case in particular the CIA and the FBI confiscated the radar data so that goes back to the cover-up and then in blue book you had a deliberate um, intention to debunk UFOs. So all of the UFO cases that pertains to national security didn't even make it into Blue Book. So you only have sort of the lesser UFO cases mm -hmm. in this in this project, and then you're explicitly televising, giving publicity to all of the cases that you can successfully debunk, and then you're hiding the ones that you can't debunk. It was very clear that that was their intention. And the civilian scientist, J. Allen Hynek, he's criticized them repeatedly for doing this. And also the public was criticizing them at the time for doing this. So he wrote a letter to the Air Force and other agencies later 
to get a re-examination of Project Blue Book. And that's how we got the Condon Committee at the mm. University of Colorado, where I went to school. And that whole scientific report was also rigged just in the same way Project Blue Book was. And it's still used by the government and mainstream academics to say that there's nothing to UFOs. But that's a bit of a contradiction because in this report, it says a scientist with a well-thought-out plan to study UFOs and proper credentials should be supported even though we didn't find any evidence. And it's very clear that they weren't looking for any evidence because United States Marine Corps Major Donald Kehoe, he said that the United States Air Force had a letter that said that the UFO phenomenon is extraterrestrial. He was cut off the air by CBS when he was talking about a Senate committee investigating this sort of thing. He says the Air Force cut him off the, off the radio while he was talking. And then he briefs this Condon committee. And a, a short while after that, Edward Condon, who's the head of this committee, he replies, there's, there's nothing to this UFO phenomenon. It's complete nonsense. And then he pauses and adds, but I'm not supposed to reach... I'm not supposed to reach that conclusion for another year. So this whole committee already had a predetermined conclusion before they even examined the data. And that's mm -hmm. why you had half of the committee leave halfway through because they had a mutiny. They didn't agree with the scientific methodology. So it's very clear that all of these reports are a cover-up. And as you said, the Navy has said that all of this will be classified going forward. So it really is covered up from the public and from academia. So uh, recently... Like Harry Reid got a program funded, not recently, it was like, a, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, uh, which I believe was called uh, AATIP, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. And that was yes. funded to the tune of like $22 million over five years. And yes. obviously that money got spent somewhere. Was that part of the cover-up? This is going to be almost all speculation, but... Um... It could be part of, as many have suggested, a drift disclosure. I don't agree with that. I actually agree with what Seth, Sh Seth Shawstack had said on your last episode, where it's almost naive to expect a disclosure from the government. We can only pressure elected officials, and if they're not privy to this sort of deep secret classified information by black projects black budgets if they don't even have the access to this mm. information they can't possibly disclose it so i think it's possible that what bigelow did because he was an integral part of creating this a tip with harry reed he created a tip they spent this money have you seen the list of experiments in the john mccain letter yes i have i, I okay. already experiments as such they're more kind of like theoretical Studies. papers and stuff right Warp drives so and whatnot. They spent the money on that, possibly also um, investigating some UAPs, trying to identify them. And after this funding dries up, he's going to want to continue that research, right? He's a private citizen. He's very interested in UFOs. He became a billionaire for the express purpose of studying UFOs. So once his funding dries up, he's going to want to keep going with the same research mm -hmm. that he had already going. Um, and so he might have created TTSA secretly, which is evidenced by a hmm. selfie with him, Luis Elizondo, Tom DeLong, all together around the same time of that formation. And then TTSA would be a continuation of ATIP because it has many of the same scientists. Eric Davis, it, who is doing the metamaterials analysis currently at Hal Putoff's company, which is called Earth Tech, who was also, both of these scientists were working on those theoretical papers. Luis Elizondo is a carryover. Um, 
Colm Kelleher is from the NIDS, NIDS, Investigation of the Paranormal Activities at Skinwalker Ranch, also funded by Bigelow. So Bigelow is kind of using all of these same people in a new organization that's much more public. And he also has the advantage of having these three videos that he might have paid Elizondo to release or that the government authorized for release. And then he has the legitimacy of the ATIP program to back up his new public company, which is... TTSA. So that's Interesting complete theory. speculation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I wonder though, do you think you feel you feel things have changed in the last five years in terms of how UFOs are viewed and how what information we have that verifies that UFOs are uh, you know real? It's a very tricky question. Um, on the surface, yes. So we've never really had an admission. I mean, you could say the Air Force or the Army back in the 40s and 50s admitted some things, but we've never had a direct admission in recent times by the military that there are craft flying around in our battle spaces above our aircraft carriers that we can't identify. So that alone, saying that these are real verified UAPs, that is a change in the dialogue. And and the more interesting change in the in the discord or the discourse is the mainstream media. All of a sudden, it went from... 50, 60 years of being ridicule and not being taken seriously, intentionally not being taken seriously, because that was part of the cover-up. Hmm. You can hide it if it's ridiculed. But now the the Navy pilots are on the mainstream media. We have Luis Elizondo public from ATIP, and all of these channels and the New York Times, they're all taking it very, very seriously, and they're saying it's real. We don't know what it is. So that is the most interesting public relations change that I can see. But as far as me personally, I, I don't think that we're headed towards disclosure just yet. But you, th- you feel that this change in the media thing is a deliberate thing? Like the, mini- the media is being directed to do this somehow? It's likely. Um, it's also possible that they just realize that they can make more money by playing up the threat factor, which is an unknown threat, but they can make more money by legitimizing UFOs than they can by ridiculing it. So it was uh, relegated to only tabloids. And now they've realized after the New York Times article, which in fact was written by a UFO author, Leslie Keene, or Kane, I'm sorry. And now they've realized that they can make more ad revenue by publishing these serious stories that a lot of people read. So it could be deliberate or it could just be, as everything else is, just money. Yeah. I guess, uh, I don't know. So you don't feel like disclosures around the corner? I don't. And uh, I also wanted to say that um, Lawrence Rockefeller had a meeting with Stephen Greer, Robert Bigelow, Linda Moulton Howe, all of these big names in ufology. And he also wrote a letter to the Clintons to say that they should press the government to do disclosure. And that's why I think both of the Clintons uh, in their presidential campaigns made a move towards disclosure, but obviously that wasn't successful. So there might be something above the presidency that controls this information and we just can't get it from our elected officials. Interesting theory. Uh, I, I'd have to say I, I personally <laughs> would not agree with that. I, I, I feel yeah. like there's really nothing there other than that sometimes we get unidentified craft in military airspace just because people fly drones into it. So sometimes, uh, aircraft go in there and sometimes uh enemy nations go in there so that's kind of my my take on on what's going on and i and my i also feel that it's inevitable that you will have some kind of unidentified craft in every arena like i'm sure airline pilots see them all the time uh you know i see my little white dots in the in the backyard which i assume are planes or birds 
but but yeah, I I I don't really think personally that there is this big cover up going on. But it would be great if uh, <laughs> if there was something interesting going on. That's something I think uh, Seth uh, Shostak said that if if there was a, a good chance, a good indication that there was alien craft, uh, then he would he would be studying it. But he doesn't really think that there is. Hopefully, we will find out what's what's kind of coming down the line. Like, what what is this stuff like that's supposed to happen soon? Like. Well, Bob Bigelow definitely believes in UFOs, and you just mentioned the commercial airline pilots. Actually, they were instructed in the FAA manuals to report all of their UFO sightings to Bob Bigelow. Mm -hmm. So there might be something going on with him doing a private cover-up almost, because he has bought the records of MUFON, and he's also bought metamaterials with taxpayer money. And now those are being analyzed by not an independent laboratory, but as I said, EarthTech International, which is Hal Putoff's company, who's part of TTSA. So I think that there's a need for more transparency, both in the government and in companies like TTSA. But TTSA, as you said, what's coming down the line, they said that they're going to make a big announcement soon. So fingers crossed that that's actually important. And it's real analysis of metamaterials. I think they said it would be this week, which has just finished. So uh. (laughs) yeah, they said it was going to be last week. So where is it? Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, The, uh, the Bigelow uh, UFO reporting. I, I, I have a friend who, uh, is an air traffic controller, and he says that mm-hmm. they're they're pretty happy about that because now they don't have to deal with uh, with UFO reports uh, from people because they they would get not not from yeah. pilots so much they don't mind that uh, they would get people calling in the general public you know saying I saw a light in the sky oh. what is that and then say oh, well just call this number now so they, Bigelow has to deal with it all. All right, so any uh, you know, kind of gone over our hour here any kind of final thoughts about uh what, what you personally are going to do with uh, your interest in ufos well i'm just trying to legitimize ufos coming on your channel trying to take it seriously um prove that there is a cover-up and also on my youtube channel mm-hmm. theory qed i'm trying to analyze ufos in a critical thinking sort of way to not debunk everything not believe everything but try to look at the data and see what is debunkable and what is anomalous that we should pay attention to um, but I have a few questions for you, oh, if you sure. don't mind. Yeah. So do you think it's possible that E.T. could visit Earth, uh, or are you just completely discounting that as a possibility because of the time and distance involved? Well, no, I certainly think it's possible, but uh, I think it would be just an incredible coincidence that it would happen at this time, just because, we, you know, for one thing, we can't see any evidence of, of alien life nearby in the universe. And uh, it doesn't seem incredibly likely that civilizations would last a very 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 long time you know we've been in this civilization on earth has only been around ten thousand years and technological civilization has only been around basically like a hundred years uh so the idea that some alien civilization will be in sync with us and just come to visit us yeah sure it's possible but is it Mm. is it a probable thing based on what we know about the universe and the little we know about how civilizations develop uh i think that if there was alien life nearby in the galaxy in in you know in the nearby stars we would we would see evidence of it in space and it wouldn't just be you know, nothing in space and some some aliens on on earth but if our detection capabilities increase both with satellites and other technologies and we did find life we would certainly send a probe there right so i think it's it makes sense to assume that aliens would do the same. I don't think we would send a probe there. Uh, not for there a few thousand a debate, years. Yeah. Uh, you, okay. would, you would first 
it, the problem with sending a probe, it depends how far away it is. You know, obviously the big problem with space travel is that it takes hundreds of years to get anywhere unless it just happens to be on the star. Even if it was on one of the nearby stars, like if it was on uh, the star, the closest star, they're like two or three light years away, you could send a radio signal there and get a response back. So you know, first of all, you try to do that. But you know, most of the stars, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's thousands of stars within 100 light years, but that's going to take a thousand years for a probe to get there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah, maybe we would, but <laughs> we, would we send uh, craft that are capable of flying around and uh, shadowing the, uh, the, the, the Nimitz fleet or something like that? No, we'd probably send something that was more like a, a, you know, a static craft that would do a little gravitational slingshot around the star or something like that. Just, uh, it just doesn't seem, you know, obviously we'd want to go there. Sounds great. Mm -hmm. But what's the odds of it actually happening in terms of, you know, synchronizing technological development? I think the greatest likelihood of getting around that great filter that you're talking about with the synchronization of civilizations is if we become either through transhumanism or just through the creation of an AI or an AGI, a super intelligence of machine learning Definitely. and machine intelligence. Mm-hmm. If that intelligence can make self-replicating probes, it could search the galaxy relatively quickly and then also have insane technologies that we can't even dream of yet. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And that's something I brought up with uh, with Seth, uh, but he kind of poo-pooed it a bit. But I, yeah. think, I think it's a pretty solid idea that there would be the... Uh, uh, these robots going throughout the galaxy and the future, unfortunately probably is yeah. with robots rather than with, with humans. So, uh, so that's my last question. If we have time is why <laughs> sure. do you think that these, these academics, <laughs> sorry, I'm going over, yeah. but why do you think Neil deGrasse Tyson and, um, Seth Shostak and also Bill Nye, the science guy, why do you think they're so adamantly opposed to the idea of extraterrestrial visitation? They don't even <clears throat> entertain the idea whatsoever. I, don't think they're adamantly opposed to it, but they adamantly feel that the evidence is pointing against it uh, in terms of not being able to detect alien life. And, you know, I think perhaps perhaps they're a little bit stuck in their ways, uh, but they probably know a lot more about astrophysics than we do. So maybe their perspective on astrophysics actually gives them insight into the likelihood of things. Like, they understand how far away these stars are, and they understand how many of the nearby stars might have habitable planets. Uh, and they've no doubt given some thought to the development of civilizations and what the actual numbers are in terms of, uh, you know, w- will there be something nearby? So, yeah, maybe, like, you know, TV scientists, they're not all that. I don't think um, Michio Kaku uh, is <laughs> really has a good point at all. And, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson often say stupid things. Uh, and I'm sure Bill Nye and um, whoever the other guy was, Seth, maybe, uh, they they also get things wrong from time to time. But uh, uh, if if all things are being equal, I kind of would defer to uh, an astrophysicist over my own personal opinion. Well, thanks for having me on. It was really fun. And I think we found some middle ground here. So that was great. Sure. No, it's great. Thank you for being on. And it's always great to, to talk to someone about these things. I am going to talk to UFO Jesus uh, yeah, in a I few saw days. That. I'm excited and, for it. Uh, <laughs> that'll be interesting. He's got a kind of a different personality to, to you, I think. And it will be interesting to see uh, what he does. I might even talk to Nick Pope as well. I'm, getting, I'm doing like UFO month, I think, this month. 
then I might have to go back to something uh, more, ent- more entertaining like Flat Earth after that. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, Ian. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Good.